Hey y'all. So when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Campsite Media. This episode contains descriptions of violence that may be disturbing for some listeners. So now it's fall 2004. We're in Las Vegas. We're in the Hard Rock Hotel, to be exact. It's after hours for Nikki Hilton's birthday. And the usual crowd is just dancing and drinking late into the night. Around 4 a.m., Paris Hilton is playing bartender. She's at the height of her stardom. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. She's out every night. She's got the sex tape. She's getting national attention for being on The Simple Life. I've always heard that people hang out at Walmart. Why? I don't know. What is Walmart? But on this night, Paris is hanging out with a friend of Riley's. His name is Will Wright. Now, he'll eventually be indicted for moving what law enforcement told CBS was a cool 200 kilos of cocaine from California to New York. But tonight, he's doing something slightly less covert. He's hanging with Paris. He's leaning in close to give her a piece of gossip. And for whatever reason, he is allegedly bringing up that robbery in Bel Air, the one involving Joe Francis. Now, Paris had heard rumors of what happened to Joe. I just heard what, what I heard, and I was like, I really, I don't remember it. That's a law enforcement tape. Why Paris is on tape will become clear in a minute. And she's saying the people have been talking about it, but she didn't know any details. That is, according to Paris, until this guy, Will Wright, started talking. Riley Perez again. Will says he never said that because why would he? But it sort of doesn't matter who told Paris. It's what happened next that's critical. Because a month or so later, Paris is out again, and she sees another one of her pals, Joe Francis. Then I saw Joe at a party. I went up to him and I was like, oh, well, I heard in Vegas that Darnell tied you up. It's been 10 months since Joe Francis was robbed at home. And Joe still has no idea who robbed him. But now, Joe is going to tell the authorities what he just heard from Paris. And the detectives are going to ring up Paris and ask her themselves. That's this tape. I, mean, I was asking, like, is it true that this happened? Now, for the very first time, from Paris Hilton, Joe has heard a name. Darnell, a.k.a. Darnell Riley Perez. 
Will my family call me Riley? But I'll answer to anything. And answer he would when the cops came knocking. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis, and this is Infamous. We're on episode four of our five-part series, Boy Gone Wild. So last episode, we got a blow-by-blow account of exactly how Riley broke in and kidnapped Joe. This episode, we're looking at the aftermath of the crime and all the legal ramifications to come for both Riley and for Joe. For now, though, we're going back to Los Angeles. 2005, March 28. It's in the afternoon, and Riley is driving to his apartment in Hollywood. He turns up his street. It's called Whitley Avenue. I drive up my driveways as I do every day. I always carried a pistol. 38 snub nose was my go-to gun. Don't have to worry about, you know, even if you dropped it, it's not just going to fire by itself. So every day I got the same routine. Get out the car. The gun's already secured in your waist. But this day, uh, at that moment, for whatever reason, I didn't put the gun in my waist. So as I step out of my car, I see a van racing up my driveway. For a second, I thought maybe it's a hit. I was about to reach for my gun or run because I had some exit points I could have made. The van stops at a a decent enough distance and I see the passenger, older white guy. I see him draw his pistol and then I see the driver. He looks to be Hispanic, younger guy. And they're screaming something, but it's like I couldn't hear. And then as I look past him, my eyes focus past him, I see the cavalry coming up the driveway. And that's when I realize, okay, it's the cops. Then, like, my, my hearing restored, and I, re- and I can hear them now, freeze, freeze, boys, boys. The younger guy who was the driver of the minivan, he walks towards me. He had never pulled his gun. The passenger, the older white guy, he kept his gun trained on me. And the younger guy said, turn around. They put me in the back of the minivan and they start with the questions. Are you Darnell Riley? I'm just looking at him and they kept asking. And then they show me the warrant. Are you Darnell Riley? I'm like, yeah, well, my name's Darnell Riley Perez. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. They're like, who are you guys? Uh, we're U.S. Marshals. So. I say, like, what is this for? Uh, We don't know. We're just body baggers. We're just here to grab you. U.S. Marshals, I guess, had teamed up with LAPD to clear backlog of, like, high-value warrants they had to execute. I just happened to be one of them. So Riley sits in the back of the van. He waits to find out what's going to happen to him. That's after the break. Infamous will be right back. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com infamous. That's rocketmoney.com infamous. rocketmoney.com infamous. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. So now that he's been arrested, U.S. Marshals take Riley to LAPD headquarters downtown. My guy tells me, um, you know, we don't know what it's for, but, you know, we're going to work on bail. At this point, Riley has no idea what he's being booked for. As far as he's concerned, the Joe Francis robbery is a cold case. Since the Marshals forgot to take his phone, he's got it in the interrogation room. I called another guy, and um, once again, no one knew what exactly I had been arrested for. I called my girlfriend at the time who had lived with me. I didn't know that they had brought her down as well, and she was in the interrogation room next to me. And uh, she tells me, yeah, they say this is because you robbed Joe Francis. So now I knew what I was in for. Out of all the possibilities of what it could have been for, that was like the last thing on my list. So now I know, okay, we we got to fight. Riley doesn't know what else the detectives have on him, but he makes a decision there and then. I'm innocent. I don't know what you're talking about. I have to play that part. I knew I was going to have to sit for a while and fight this case out. He's transported to a jail downtown. Two counts of kidnapping home evasion, uh, robbery, extortion, two kidnapping charges. The kidnap for ransom held a, a, a penalty of life without parole. Two life sentences, yeah. I mean, how do you do one life sentence? Overnight, Riley becomes a pariah. How do you feel now being in a case where these people are all going to say they don't know you? At that point, it becomes um, survival. Did you feel hurt at all? No, didn't have time for that. It would have been a wasted emotion. I was sitting in the county jail with gangbangers rioting daily, facing the real potential of death every day, while still waging this war in the, in the courts, where if I lose, um, I go away for life. Um, so. Yeah, w- wondering who's not going to want me back in their club was the farthest thing from my mind. It was, uh, how am I going to survive this? 
In December 2005, after nine months in jail, Riley has his preliminary hearing. He walks into the courtroom, takes a seat next to his lawyer, and looks around. Stale courtroom, wood paneled walls. The judge was about 800 years old. You know, tried and tested veteran of the legal system. Riley's lawyer, Ron Richards, is able to get one of the kidnapping charges dropped. And after the hearing, Ron started negotiating a plea bargain. Ron asked me, you know, where do you want to start? I said, give me probation. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, they're not going to go for that. So I said, all right, seven. He said, well, they're looking at 13. Uh, so it's, now it's the back and forth, you know. We'll say eight, they'll come back maybe at 10. It kind of sounds like haggling over something on Craigslist. You start really low, the other person counters, but then you come up a little to meet them in between. Except this isn't a bike or a used couch. It's years of a person's life. First off, the potential that I could be busted, that always existed. I did the crime. So in the negotiating and talking with Ron in our, in our private talks, you know, this question to me is, what can you live with? Okay, well, we, we wanted something in a single-digit range. So getting to 10 years, 8 months, that was his goal once, once we were in the, uh, in the bargaining stage. I was okay with it because I did the crime. After sitting in jail for a year and witnessing the insane asylum, <laughs> being involved in riots that are gang-based, that have nothing to do with you, just get me to a point where the amount of time that I'm going to do, I can still have a life afterwards. I won't be an old man walking the prison yard coming out with very few options left in life. Riley shipped away to Supermax. But pretty soon, Joe's about to do some fighting of his own back in Florida. More after the break. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media. Riley's case is winding its way through the courts. But Joe's facing problems of his own. Remember all that stuff in Panama City Beach, Florida, when he battled Mayor Lee? He was putting on the big show. I mean, this wasn't just low-key, I need to do this. This is low-key. This is, I am the JoJo. I am the most narcissistic 
piece of human crap you have ever met. And if you don't believe it, I'm going to prove it to you. He's playing tennis with the wrong boy. Yeah, that stuff in Panama City Beach doesn't seem to be going away. Joe still needs to answer for those girls from the Chateau Motel, room 320. Hey, I'm Joe Francis. Two of those girls were filmed in a shower scene, and two of them alleged that Joe paid them $50 to masturbate him. They were underage. And one of them, according to a book, was feeling guilty and told her parents. And that's what brought the cops down on Joe. Now, I should make clear that the Chateau Motel situation is a bit more complex than it was initially thought by law enforcement. Joe's arguing that all of the girls said they were 18 to his cameraman because they were super excited to get on the tapes. Plus, Girls Gone Wild is adamant that it's been flying straight and doing right by girls who flash or do more and then realize afterwards they didn't want to do it. If at any time during that post-process, they said, look, I did it, I was drunk, or my friend made me do it, or I feel bad about it, I don't want to be in it, I want to be out, we would remove them. Regardless, the legal system has been trying to get Joe, and the case has been dragging on for years. Here's David Angier, a local Florida reporter. David was present many days during Joe's legal troubles. He calls Joe's case the most voluminous, most talked about case in Bay County history. So the first time that I actually encountered Joe Francis, we were waiting for an elevator at the federal courthouse. His first words were, you know, this is all bullshit, right? David was covering Joe's legal fight for the Panama City News Herald, but he also wrote a whole book about it. It's called The Madness of Joe Francis. The actual last thing that I've ever heard from Joe Francis was, He texted me and he said that he had read the book, it was awful, he was going to sue me, and he hoped that I died young. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Joe is just sort of going off on everyone. If somebody wants to abuse the federal court system and file a frivolous lawsuit, I'll have some fun with it. It's... I have absolutely nothing to lose. My lawyers are all full-time. It's like, you know, who cares? Joe's dealing with the criminal charges regarding the girls at the Chateau Motel, but they're also bringing a civil suit, meaning they want money. And when Joe gets into mediation with the Chateau Motel's girls' lawyers, things get very wild and not at all in a good way. According to David's book, it's March 21st, 2007. Yeah, the 2003 case has gone on this long. So Joe's at the Bay Point Marriott in Panama City Beach, and he's finally trying to settle the civil suit. He's sitting at a table, shorts, baseball cap, playing a handheld video game, and the lawyers come in. He announces to them that they aren't going to get a dime. I think he said something along the lines of, here's my offer, you can suck my dick. I was only in a room with seasoned trial lawyers, and what I said is, I'm going to bury you. And then these guys said, you're an asshole. And then they demanded $70 million, and I told them to suck my dick, okay? (laughs) Which I think is an appropriate reaction to that. I have to tell you, that rolled off my tongue. The thing is, when the judge heard this, he upped the tension. Because he ordered Joe back to mediation, or else. 
David's paper had a particular way of putting it, which made it sound pretty definitive, even if the judge didn't quite mean it that way. The headline was, judge tells Joe Francis, settle or jail. And that right there told everybody else in the nation that this judge is very sympathetic. In other words, lawyers all across the South may have thought, huh, I could bring a case against this guy, that's for sure. But in this moment, even though the judge has said that Joe Francis should do meaningful mediation, you can guess that Joe's next attempt at mediation doesn't go much better than the first. He even tells the Associated Press, in his fury, that he's stuck in a case of judges go wild. So we're starting here. Okay. Um. Now, I'm sitting here with my producer, Lily Smith, and she is going to read a few of the things that Joe's lawyers wrote to a court around this time because they really capture his state of mind. This story is a new version of an old classic. A story of Southern justice gone awry. Nina Simone sang about it. William Faulkner wrote about it. Historians teach about it. A young man imprisoned in a Florida jail cell for what? Not giving millions of dollars to deceitful plaintiffs and dishonorable lawyers in a civil suit to satiate the avaricious appetite of a cavernous... Oh, God. I think that's enough. Cavernous I think that's enough. I don't think we need to hear it anymore. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I feel like I love Joe and his situation's unfortunate. That's Kim Kardashian talking to a TMZ reporter. She's just, you know, minding her business, getting into her car in a parking lot, and the TMZ reporter is filming her. That's why I'm wearing a free Joe shirt. Yes, Kim is wearing a T-shirt, which in big block letters says, Free Joe. But David Angier doesn't feel bad for him. Ultimately, What landed him in jail was his attitude, the fact that he just could not reel himself in and and be respectful. While in jail, he allegedly tries to bribe a guard. He just wants one bottle of water, and he's willing to pay 500 bucks for it. And that's not all. The guards claim to find sleeping pills, prescription medication, 700 bucks in cash. And this is just the beginning. Even though Joe signs the settlement with the Chateau Motel women, he's taken into federal custody and transported to another jail. This one is on the other side of the country, Reno, Nevada. The 35-year-old is accused of deducting more than $20 million in bogus business expenses. Out in the desert, hot sun burning down on him, he's imprisoned. It's an accusation of tax issues in 2002 and 2003. He has his own cell. He's in a special housing unit because of his celebrity status. And he gets to do a bunch of interviews. Here he is on a radio show. It's Bubba the Love Sponge. Joe, you there? I'm here. Joe, how are you, buddy? Good, man. Now, how Good. long? How long? Oh, it's subject to monitoring and recording. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll interrupt this every once in a while. That's all right. That's, that, that makes it, it kind of like legitimizes. So, so Joe, yeah. how long have you been in in this particular uh, jail? Well, I've been in jail for eight months now, and I haven't I haven't been convicted of a single crime. He sounds pretty outraged. No one, Bubba, gets held without bail in this country. Lindsay Lohan gets charged with cocaine twice, walks in and out of the friggin' facility in a day. You know, Bill Spector. O.J. Simpson. Joe, you got so much money and you got so much going for you, but you're always getting into all kinds of problems. 
Well, but it kind of seems that way, but not really. It's all from this town. Like, every problem I've ever had, other than the tax issue, every single problem has come out of one incident in 2003. What these guys did in Panama City, come on, man. You know Bay County, Florida is a scary place, Bubba. Come on. Now, what this is a pretty welcoming audience, Bubba the Love Sponge, and they feel bad for Joe. Joe, like, what did some of the shit that, they, that, that these assholes did to you? No, I'm talking to look, look, they belly-chained me, handcuffed me, and, and shackled me naked in the shower, okay? I'm in for civil contempt of court, okay? They housed me in, in a murder wing in a solitary cell. They put a street lamp over me 24 hours a day. They won't give me toilet paper. They wouldn't give me prescription medications. They, you know, would deny me food. I mean, it was constant, constant, like, tor- torturing me. Now, this is something I don't know if you want to touch on or not, but, you know, I remember the story about you getting held it, uh, on a bed with a dildo around your ass and all these all I mean, these things. What's your take on that? Well, my, t- my take? I thought I was going to die. I mean, that night I really thought I was going to die. I mean, look, I'm not a homophobic guy, so it, it didn't bother me, but... You can clearly see there was a gun on my head. This call is subject to monitoring and recording. What Riley's robbery has to do with homophobia is a bit unclear, but it is clear that Joe feels that he is being maligned, and many news organizations are willing to hear him out. I sit in a cell every night. <laughs> I wake up and I scream. I'm like, I haven't, I haven't done anything. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> These people are just getting off on destroying my life. Eventually, Joe comes to terms in part of the Chateau Motel case with the underage girls. He pleads no contest to one count of child abuse and two misdemeanor counts of prostitution. He also pleads no contest for violating jail rules with the sleeping pills and the cash. This is Joe on the steps of the Panama City Courthouse. I am 100% innocent of anything that I just pled to. But by the time Joe gets out, spring 2008, Riley is only a few years into his sentence. And he's having a very different time in jail. So what did you say when people asked you, what's your crime? Yeah, no one's just going to ask you that. The main reason they ask that question is because they want to make sure you're not a child molester uh, or you're not a rat. So yeah, your folks, the folks you run with, they're going to want to know. You right. give them your paperwork, they see it. Now granted, my paperwork was on the cover of LA Times. There are guys there with life sentences, 40-year sentences. So, uh, you know, there's very few Boy Scouts just walking around. And daily violence exists. So what are you thinking when you hear that Joe is in jail trying to get a water bottle? Yeah, it's comical. I mean... Yeah, he's fish out of water, and he realizes that the life he had, even with him just being in a city jail that he was in initially, uh, that that probably made his skin crawl. Yeah, I know the feeling, Joe, but just, you know, just adapt, buddy. You expect him to be running up the walls, trying to... uh, trying to control the narrative initially, trying to hold on to folks that he's associated with. You know, I'm innocent, I tell you, I'm innocent. So I understand. At that point, it's sink or swim. 
I guess the the biggest thing is you you don't want to lose yourself in there. But how do I maintain my individuality in a place where everything is uniformed and rules are set long way before I ever came in here? Rules are set. How do I keep my individuality? How do I keep my humanity and not just turn into uh, some ogre? And that's a balancing act. What you're doing inside is what you're going to be doing when you come out. There are dudes that hit the yard and they're just slinging dope and you know, the gambling, the this, the that. Okay, well, you, you're conditioned. You've conditioned yourself. He's such a bad guy. I, I, I did a good thing. I, I never thought in that way. Uh, I still don't, you know. Uh, he was my victim. I was the perpetrator. Riley, the guy who kidnapped and extorted Joe, he served nine years in prison, compared to Joe's total of 11 months. But after all this, Joe still can't stay out of trouble. How much punishment does he really deserve? We'll get to that question next time on Infamous. I don't understand it. I mean, Elliot Spitzer gets to have sex with her for four grand, and, and I got to pay 10 million because we shot some naked pictures. If a girl's a slut, I mean, she should be abused. Girls Gone Wild has always been about free expression, which is a right guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. I don't think anybody knows that he has a warrant out. I really don't. Infamous is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's created, executive produced, and hosted by me, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and Gabriel Sherman. Shoshi Shmolovitz is our managing producer and editor. Rajiv Gola is our senior producer. And Lily Houston-Smith, Garrett Graham, and Grace Heerman are our associate producers. This episode of Boy Gone Wild was written for audio by Natalie Robomed, Riley Perez, and me. It was sound designed by Alistair Sherman, mixed by David Devereaux, and recorded by Ewan Lai Tremuin. Campside Media's executive producers are Josh Dean, Adam Hoff, Matt Scher, and myself. Thanks to PJ Vogt and to Campside's operations team, Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Destiny Dingle. Much of the story appears in court and police records. If you're enjoying learning about Girls Gone Wild, please rate and review the show. It is so helpful. See you next week.